You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramillo, credential reporter and the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts, to get the latest episodes. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Miami caught what looked like a break facing the L.A. Clippers on Monday night. After a tough loss to the Utah Jazz over the weekend, the Clippers were without four starters. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, both all-NBA-level players, nursing injuries. Pat Beverly out for rest. Nicholas Batum suffering from migraines. And you think to yourself, this is it. Miami can turn a corner, beat an opponent over 500, a very good opponent, but missing key players, Miami still found a way to lose. A tough loss. I'm going to be playing this one totally by ear. I don't even want to write notes. I'm frustrated. It's almost 1 o'clock in the morning. And I'm recapping this because I want to give you some perspective here on what happened during the game. But it's it's not easy. It's a, an ugly loss. I've got to wake up in just a few hours and <laughs> look at my son Jake and tell him, sorry, I'm really tired and... Uh, I don't, I don't know why I stayed awake because this is an ugly game. Uh, look, Miami started off looking pretty good. I thought they were going to be able to capitalize and win. Even several points during the game, I thought, okay, they've turned it around. But the Clippers just seemed to find a way to keep getting easy points. If it wasn't their perimeter shooting, they finished almost 50% from three-point range. They got easy looks at the basket. Ivica Subak or Subac, or whatever you want, however you pronounce his last name, absolutely slaughtered Miami. 28, sorry, 22 points from him in 28 minutes, 9 of 11, all soul-crushing dunks at the rim. Amir Coffey, who uh, as a G-leaguer apparently had been playing in the G-league bubble in Orlando, is on a two-way contract, got called up to the club because of their issues with their key starters, wound up playing 32 minutes and having 15 points, including five of six from three-point range. Miami continues to find a way to let players notch season highs or career highs in some cases. Marcus Morris Sr. with 32 points. Even Lou Williams. I mean, he only had 18 points, but some of those shots were particularly backbreaking towards the end of the game when Miami was trying to make a run and seeing if they could close the gap a little bit. But really, although Miami was able to wind up taking a one-point lead in the third quarter, the Clippers kept roaring back. It was just a game of runs, as cliche as that sounds. It seems like Miami would play well for a period of time, then the Clippers would come back. Miami would just find themselves completely out of sync and then all of a sudden click into gear, come back into it, and the Clippers would have an answer. Often to Miami's inability to respond, like just incredible shot that were falling for the Clippers and just easy looks at the basket. Again, if I had to, if I have to pinpoint any one specific reason for Miami's loss tonight, okay, sorry, I should go back a step here. Jimmy Butler wound up having a, a pretty decent game: thirty points, ten rebounds, ten assists, so a empty triple double. And I use that term because I feel like there were moments there where Jimmy was playing really, really well. And I know I'm going to sound like I'm being overly critical of a guy who was absolutely Miami's leader for most of the game. 
But there were also moments there in the fourth quarter where he was missing key shots, makeable shots, and I felt like he was kind of doing that thing LeBron used to do on occasion where he was just kind of waiting for other players to step up. He didn't seem to be playing with the same energy late in the game when Miami had sacrificed their lead and given up another huge double-digit lead that seemed insurmountable. And I wonder whether or not there was – I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. That sense from Jimmy because I didn't get that from Bam. Bam finished with 27 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists, almost a triple-double himself. And at the end of the game, he seemed to be playing with more intensity. He was hustling. He was going crazy. He had a huge block shot on Lou Williams to preserve what looked like an easy layup. He was making key plays, working the two-man game with Jimmy almost to perfection. So I, I don't want to be critical of Jimmy by any means. I just felt like as much of a positive as you'll take out of the triple-double, it almost felt a little bit like empty calories. Overall, there was some really woeful shooting from Miami. And that's the big takeaway for me as far as what the reason was for Miami's struggles. Defensively, they are what they are in the sense that they give up these three-point shots. There's no way around that. And they don't have the interior presence to make things easier defensively. They stopped trapping ball handlers, something they had been doing so well against the Knicks and Rockets. And then they just, they seemed like they were dropping in coverage. I switching everything and it didn't work like they just were scrambling because I I know Miami's starters or or some of Miami's starters are not very good defensively Tyler Hero wound up having to play a lot of minutes tonight 41 minutes more than any other Heat player because Duncan Robinson got into foul trouble Kendrick Nunn got into foul trouble and maybe that was the decision process there for Eric Spolstra but I feel like they could have done something a little bit better to trap guys like Coffee or Luke Kennard or Reggie Jackson, who only wound up having six points. I, I'm not quite sure exactly what the decision was. Maybe he'll be asked about it. I didn't even participate in the postgame presser because, well, what's he going to say? It's a bad loss. Your second bad loss in a row. You're going on to face a very good Golden State team on Wednesday night. Not seeing any way of this team turning things around, especially when you have to go up against a shooter like Steph Curry, who's playing on an MVP level. Back to my original point, though, as far as Miami shooting, that was just really, really bad. They shot just 8 of 36, 22% from three-point range. 0 for 4 shooting nights from Kelly Olenek. 0 for 4 from Kendrick Nunn. 0 for 2 from Jimmy Butler. Just 3 of 11 from Duncan Robinson. Dollar Hero, 4 of 10, so 40%, but even he looked apprehensive. 10 three-point shots, probably not ideal. Max Struess, only 9 minutes, and he didn't have the shot dialed up. 1 of 4 overall, so some of those were under duress. He just didn't seem to get any playing time. Goran Dragic still out. Gabe Vincent didn't get any playing time. So I, I don't. They just couldn't seem to muster any offense from the perimeter, and that just seemed like it sent everything offensively into a spiral. And you're looking at this, you know, stat sheet. You're looking at 118 points. They shot 50 percent overall from the field, and and maybe their offense wasn't so bad. But I have to totally disagree. I mean, the Clippers missing their key defenders and Beverly and Paul George and Leonard. Sure, they were going to give up a lot of points. But those were, again, empty points. It, it was just Miami took more field goal attempts than they normally do, 91 overall. So they were picking up the pace a little bit more than what they had in the Utah game. But it just didn't feel like they were able to do anything effectively, easily, efficiently. Every shot was 
winding down the the shot clock, looking for a basket. There were a couple moments there where they were swinging the ball around, and they seemed to kind of get away from that passing offense that they used so effectively last season. Just 27 assists on the night. Again, most of those from Jimmy and Bam. But on 46 made field goals, that's not where that number should be. If you're going to be taking this many shots, then that number should be closer to 30-35. And I think that's a concern, too, because it seems like, again, the play breaks down when Duncan's not hitting or when Olenek's not hitting. And then it just becomes one-on-one ball where Jimmy has to kind of force something up at the end. Bam, at a bio, either makes a good cut or finishes with a rebound and is able to initiate his own shot. That's not the strength of this team. And they've gotten away from that. So that's at least a big part of what was the issue offensively. Defensively, you know, again, uh, they gave up a lot of shots. Marcus Morris probably shouldn't go off there, but I feel like Jimmy and Bam had to be pulled away from Morris in order to help protect the paint because a, a ball handler had been able to get past either Nunn or Robinson or Hero and have an easier look at the basket. And so that was going to draw away, draw the defenses, including Jimmy and Butler. I'm sorry, Jimmy and Adebayo, who were likely guarding Morris at some point. Olenek even had to help there on occasion. He had a really bad game overall. Like some of the defensive awareness that I'd seen from him in late of late uh, just wasn't seen, just wasn't there. Not a great game. Not a lot to take away. Just beat down, looked ugly, went away from things that had worked well. Offensively, they struggled. And they can't keep taking these moments where they're getting beat by other opponents, especially undermanned teams like the Clippers were tonight, and saying, well, we can still figure it out. Because that's they're getting to that dangerous territory. They were never at this point last season. With all the issues regarding Dion and James Johnson and their lack of playing time, it never felt dire. Even Justice, you know, maybe grumbling to the front office that he wants more playing time, etc. None of that seemed to be taking away from the camaraderie and the chemistry of this team. And that just doesn't seem to be evident at all. I don't think they've turned on themselves yet. I haven't gotten a sense and... Then again, I'm not in that locker room the way I was last season, so I can't really see it up close. I don't think there, there's frustration. I don't think it's can't it turned to, to a locker room cannibalism. You know, they're not eating at each other just yet. But it feels like it's getting close. They have to turn it around at some point soon. They can't continue to squander these opportunities. Like they're going to be taking on the Lakers later on this week who are going to be missing Anthony Davis in a nationally televised game. That's a good opportunity for you to turn it around. Draymond Green was supposed to be missing a key component of Golden State's offense, but it looks like he's going to be back in form. So you're going to probably lose to the Golden State Warriors because of their three-point shooting prowess, because of their passing offense, because it just seems to throw off everything. It seems like that's a team perfectly suited for exploiting Miami's weaknesses. So you have to start figuring something out. And I know a lot of people are looking at trades as a potential option, but does the front office even want to make a trade? Is the team even beyond help at this point? I'll break it down here in the number one Miami Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and more. One thing you can count on is the ever-increasing number of makes and models, and it makes it impossible for any kind of store to stock all the parts you might need. So why do you go there 
endure pointless or intimidating questions while the person behind the counter orders the parts that you're looking for on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry. You've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy-to-use site, and you'll get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly and safely to your door. Why spend more for the exact same parts at a chain store? Rockauto.com's low prices are the same for everybody. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Then go to that section that says, how did you hear about us? And enter locked on. So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. The news of the day outside of Miami's 125-118 to 118 loss to the Clippers is that Blake Griffin seems like he is done in Detroit. The news being broken today that he and the team have come to an understanding that he's just not going to play anymore. They're not quite benching him it's a very weird turn that's taken between that and a situation that's playing out similarly in Cleveland where Andre Drummond is likely to get moved and he's not going to play either as the team pivots to Jared Allen strange that teams are just making this kind of information public and they're just saying well we're, we have these players on our contract under our uh, under contract on our roster we're just not going to play them and the league is going okay they're not saying anything when so many people yelled about what was happening in Philadelphia during the process when they were benching players like this. And, and historically, it's, it's been a problem in New Orleans and other teams. Just don't quite get it. Not sure why Miami couldn't have done something similar with Hassan Whiteside a couple of years ago, but I guess that's neither here nor there. As far as Blake is concerned, he is, uh, he's got two years left on his current deal, this season and the next. Next season is a player option, due $39 million. Collecting the rest prorated amount of $36 million this year. And the decision is, what happens next? Does Detroit trade him? That seems unlikely. Given Blake's age, efficiency, lack of explosion, hit injury history, I can't see any team trying to take on the remaining $50, $60 million of Blake's deal and wanting him on their roster as he's currently playing. So it seems more than likely that Detroit is going to buy him out for an amount that he and the team feel comfortable negotiating. Let's say half. You know, if, if there's another $50, 60000000 million left, he'll get another 20 to $30 million left. And m- maybe at that point he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Should Miami pursue that kind of a player? And I talked about this with Wes Goldberg on Lockdown NBA because he made the point that Blake, while he can't shoot particularly well, he still does take threes. He's a good passer at this point in his career. Can he fill the void at the four? You're starting Kelly Olenek, who I think is more athletic than Blake is, a better shooter than Blake is, even on nights when he struggles like tonight, and a pretty solid passer himself. I think there's a a bit of a fascination with Blake because of the name. Can he help Miami 
I can't make that determination because there's two ways of looking at it from my perspective is that if Blake is this player, the one that we've seen struggle in Detroit this year and the last, then I don't think he helps Miami. I think he's too slow, too injury prone, could be difficult to deal with in a locker room because of ego, because of the, well, I think pretty well reported attitude problems. But even if you dismiss all those just from a a functional on the court perspective, can he make this team better? I don't really see it, if that's the version he is. The flip side of that, though, is has he just been kind of dogging in Detroit because he knew they weren't going to go very far and he had to deal with rebuilding yet again and again another coach taking over for Stan Van Gundy, another regime, you know, Dwayne Casey trying to figure it out, another injury last year. It's been difficult for him, and it was clear that they were rebuilding this year when they acquired Mason Plumlee and and Jerry and Grant. They just changed the way that they were approaching, and he he's his role became marginalized. Could he turn up his level of play? Maybe. It's hard to gauge, right? Because we haven't seen these moments from him during the course of the season. Like there is nothing there of what we tend to identify with Blake. That athleticism seems gone. His shooting pretty non-existent, inconsistent at best. If he has another notch, another level to reach, then perhaps he could help Miami. But I just, I'm not quite sure that I buy that that's a possibility. And I've had concerns about Blake because of the off the court stuff. I just, I feel like he is not a good locker room presence here. To me, if you look at trying to recreate that lightning in a bottle, that's the phrase I keep coming back to regarding what happened with Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill and Andre Guadalla last year. Blake is not that guy. I don't think he's going to provide that spark. I think he's been too comfortable losing over the course of the last few years of his career. I just don't know that he's going to be able to turn things around and all of a sudden become the kind of player committed to winning. And, you know, you saw what Crowder was in Memphis last year, and perhaps you can make that same argument. But from the sense that I got from people who covered the Grizzlies is that he was still mostly a positive locker room presence helping the young guys, mentoring, things of that sort. And while there hasn't been any kind of reports of negativity regarding Blake's role in the team, I don't know how capable he is of becoming the same guy that Crowder was last year. I don't know. Some people are looking at the Blake possibility and saying anything to help this team. But I don't know that the team even wants to make a trade. If Look, to acquire Blake, you'll probably sign him to a minimum deal. I think maybe you can offer him a a second year if you feel comfortable with that experiment. Probably a team option similar to what Myers Leonard got for a lot less money. But you'll have to cut somebody on the roster. Chris Silva, Gabe Vincent, uh, Casey Opala, I'm I'm not sure who, but somebody that's currently on the roster has to get cut. I'm sorry, it can't be Vincent because he's on a two-way contract, so it's not him. It's somebody that's under a a regular-style contract, so likely Silva. Do you want to cut Chris Silva to bring in what's left of great Blake Griffin and and at that point in his career? Let's suspend talk about Blake Griffin because whether he's an option or not, we'll see what happens once he's eventually bought out if and when it does happen soon. And whether or not Miami chooses to pursue it, that's another question. But I don't know that this team wants to make that kind of determination just yet. I look at what they've got in this group and, and the fact that Jimmy has missed so much time that their big free agency, free agent acquisition of Avery Bradley hasn't really gotten a lot of playing time, that their playoff leading scorer and one of the best heat 
role players, uh, you know, the, the torchbearers of Heat culture and Goran Dragic hasn't been available so long that get Jimmy missed three weeks and that Eric Spolster has, has had to go through so many inconsistent different lineups. They may not see this team as being in so so desperately in need of help. They might want to just say, let's wait. The All-Star break, which is coming up soon, March 5th, is going to be an opportunity for Miami to reset. And as long as they can just tread water until then, then once this roster is healthy and secure and back, then maybe they can continue to find ways to win, contend for a playoff spot, and do everything that they did similarly to last season where they've got key contributions from everybody. It seems unlikely right now that Miami is able to flick a switch and and just turn it up the way that they did last season. What happened in the bubble might be impossible to recreate. But maybe that's what the front office is counting on. Maybe they're saying, "Look, we we just we don't know what this team is yet. The team that we wanted to put together and you can debate whether or not they messed up the offseason by putting all their hopes in 2021. That's a fair argument." One that I probably wanted to get to at some point down the road because I'm just not sure yet. The season still feels so young, even when the team is already losing a whole bunch of winnable games. They've dropped to 11 and 16. It's not, it's not nice. It's not, it's not good times out there. But I just don't know that this front office sees what this roster is and, and feels the need, the desperation to make a move right away. If you can acquire a star, that's fine. But even the price of role players is a lot more than it probably should be. If you're looking to acquire Neyman Bielitsa, and again, I'm probably butchering that name, it's because you've got a trade exception that you can use to incorporate his salary where it'll just cost you Chris Silva. But I don't know that Bielitsa is going to raise the level of this team considerably. He's a kind of a flyer because he's not going to cost you a lot of money. Other than that, to acquire P.J. Tucker, to acquire Thad Young, to acquire any of these other fours, certainly a, a player like John Collins, who the Athletic is reporting Atlanta would want a first-round pick for, that's a hell of a price tag. And hearkening back to what Pat Riley said during the offseason about the cupboard being more full than ever, well, I don't know that he necessarily wants to empty it out for a player of Collins' worth. I don't know that you, you certainly don't want to do it for a guy like P.J. Tucker, who is 36 and struggling from the field and maybe capable of helping this team, but not to the same degree as Crowder, in my opinion. I'm just not sure that this team feels as low on this team's chances as Heat fans currently do. And I'm I'm talking to you as fans, and I understand you're getting frustrated. You're seeing this team. If you're stayed awake for this Clippers loss, you're going to yourself, you're saying to yourself, what the hell did I just watch? Because that was an ugly performance against an undermanned team without any kind of star power. And somehow guys like Coffee and Morris and Kennard and, you know, others, Zubac, find ways to kill this roster, kill this team as it's currently constructed. And you're just, you want to change. You're desperate for any change. I get that. I get that. It's not, it's not good. I'll be 100% honest with you. And it's not easy. But I'll debate whether or not this team can even improve if a trade is made. I'll answer that and more listener questions in the next segment here on Locked on Heat. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. 
Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to play. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. So a couple things I wanted to get into. Some listener questions and then the idea of whether or not this team might even be beyond help. That's a Pretty loaded topic. This first question comes in from Kenny, who asks, how much would Goran Dragic even help in these last couple of games where Miami has been struggling to score the ball? Probably not the QRL, but it seems like he's setting the offense, making plays, and scoring the three ball would be a major help when KO and Kanan struggle. And this kind of ties in exactly to what I was saying about the front office. They might just not see the need to make a move right away. And this kind of feels like that those seasons with Dion and James Johnson and Kelly when he was first signed here, where you've got all these contracts worth 12 to 15, $16 million and you debate whether or not they're even tradable. The players on Miami's roster are making too much to just package for a lower income role player. You don't have the draft picks. You don't want to throw in draft collateral to make a move and you're not quite sure, you know, you, I keep getting suggestions, and this isn't to knock anybody for making these moves, but you know the, the the NBA trade machine, the ESPN trade machine, is not a functional apparatus for structuring a deal. You cannot put, you know, you cannot trade three pennies for a quarter. That's just not how it works. And everybody keeps thinking, well, that penny is actually worth a lot more. Well, it's not. It's actually still a penny. So. Kelly Olenek's contract and Andre Iguodala's contract might add up to Kyle Lowry, but Toronto's not taking on Olenek and Iguodala, especially you know, despite Olenek being a Canadian. It's just not enough. But to Kenny's question, I feel like Dragic would have been a huge help. Like those moments against Utah and the Clippers where you're struggling offensively, he's your release valve. He's a guy who can hit the shot at 38% at least when he's dialed up, when he's having those kind of games that we've seen him have so regularly. We know he's capable of at least providing some pressure. You have to respect the three ball, and he's a good enough passer where he can just, you know, command a double team on occasion, kick it out to a, a cutting bam. He could put the ball down. He can score in the paint. He'll draw fouls. It's a he's a he's my he might be Miami's third best score or second best score. I think he helps a hell of a lot to be honest with you. So that's a concern is that you're not quite sure whether or not. You even have to make a trade. This next question comes in from Johnny Wishbone, who asks, what is going on with Duncan? That's a tough one. I, I Look, I don't know that Duncan is doing anything badly. He actually started off shooting pretty well, tapered off a little bit to some degree. Again, finished 4 of 10 from the field. I'm sorry, 3 of 11 from the field. 4 of 10 was Tyler's line. 3 of 11, not great. 
teams have figured out how to crowd Duncan to such a way where they deny him getting the looks that he was getting regularly last season and even earlier this season. Like it's it's worked, and he is unfortunately so one dimensional where he needs to have the ball set up for him. The first quarter was textbook on Bam getting in, uh, in setting bone crushing screens against anybody. They ran an elevator screen where they had two. I think it was Jimmy and Bam, might have been Kelly and Bam, where they started off Bam and, and Duncan cut through the two his two teammates in order to get open. They closed the doors and, and screened off whoever was guarding Duncan. He winds up getting an open look and knocking down the three-pointer to start off the game. And they were setting other quality screens. Their screen setting in the first quarter, second half, I mean first half in general, was really, really good, Bam in particular, of course. So they were making a, a concerted effort to try and get Duncan going. But it's just harder to do over the course of the game. Then Duncan got into foul trouble, lost his rhythm a little bit, just could have never really seemed to find it as easily as he did early on. So I, I still have hope that he can be a very solid role player. Maybe never as flammable as he was in the playoffs or for most of last season. But still a guy who's going to give you 5 of 8, 5 of 10. That's great shooting. I mean, you want him to be 40% as much as possible. He may not ever get to 45%, 50%, you know, near where he was last year. But at least he can be, you know, he can keep defenses honest and make things easier for others. And again, that starting lineup, if you've got Gorn out there, you know, Kendrick Nunn is what he is. If Kelly's shooting well, You've got two negative shooters in Butler and Adebayo. You don't even respect them anymore as, as three-point shooters. It's just Jimmy is Jimmy's done as a shooter, unfortunately. I don't know if it's psychological or physical or a combination of both, but he just can't seem to shoot that with any kind of regularity and consistency for sure. And so it makes it a lot more, diff- more difficult for Duncan to get the kind of easier open looks that he should get. You can do other things. You can invert the offense a little bit. You can set better screens. I've seen a lot of different suggestions for him. I don't know why Eric Spolstra hasn't tinkered with it a little bit more, aside from what we saw earlier on in the Clippers game. But it's a priority to get him going because if not, he does become almost so completely unplayable because of his his one dimension, his one thing that he does particularly well is mitigated. Then having him out there as a negative defender, a substandard playmaker, a guy who can't create his shot and can't really put the ball down, can't rebound particularly well, I don't know why you have him out there. He's a shorter Kelly Olenek when Kelly's fall, you know, shot isn't falling either. And I would say Kelly is a better playmaker, ball handler, and passer than Duncan is. So those are legitimate concerns there. Is the team beyond help? That's a tough question to answer, right? I, I think a lot of people are saying, let's tank. Well, you know already tanking is probably not out the door. They don't have a pick. There's no reason, no benefit for tanking, and I've said this before, the team has said this, losing breeds losing. You don't want to invite that kind of negativity, that kind of culture, because Miami is has too much at stake. They will, they will rue the day that they t- actively tank, especially when you've got three years left to impress Jimmy Butler. So that's not going to happen. It's not going to be a development year. You're not going to play the G Leaguers. You're not going to invest hours and hours of playing time for Casey Okpala, that's not a priority for this team. They want to win. They want to win big. They think they can compete for a title again this year. It might be ludicrous. It might be unrealistic, 
but that was the expectation going into the year. I think they're closer to that by far than they ever would be to the idea of tanking. I don't know that you need to make a huge change because so much of the roster has been in and out, inconsistent, hurt, or, or dealing with COVID protocols, and you still don't have a real sense of what this group is. I, I feel like I keep seeing really bad games here. And I know I probably don't speak for many of you because I see a lot of frustration and I, I understand it 100%. I just, I see this group, I see what they're capable of. And I know that if you get Goran and Bradley in there, a lot of the issues that you're thinking are, are beyond repair suddenly get a lot easier to solve. And I know you could say, well, Goran was back before and Avery was in before and Miami was still bad. Yeah, but then you were missing you know, Jimmy Butler, or then you were missing Tyler Hero, or then you were missing somebody. And that's just been the recurring theme of the season is that, you know, Jimmy missed the first couple games of the season and then he came back and then he was out and, and struggling. And then, you know, he missed a lot of time. Bam missed time. Goron missed time. Like You remember that Philadelphia game where Max Struess played like 40 minutes and you had eight viable players? I mean, <laughs> that seems like an eternity ago and so much has happened. But the season started December 22nd, and here you are a, a month and a half later. A month and a half. That's not a whole hell of a lot of time to gauge what this season is capable of, This what this roster is capable of. And yet you kind of have to force a decision really quickly. I, I think this team is not beyond help. I think a trade might help if you get the right player. But the right player is going to be expensive. And it just – they're not giving away Thad Young's. They're not giving away P.J. Tucker's. That's just, you had to trade something of value. I, I don't see any team during these circumstances that can afford to take on, like, say, Deion Waiter's salary last year. The only reason why the Grizzlies did that was because they were getting Justice Winslow as a bargain. So what are you going to trade? Tyler Hero? He's under contract for a couple of years, but I don't think you want to give up a 18 points per game scorer it's only 20 years old just to acquire, I don't know, a, a Jay Crowder type or an expensive salary like Andre Guadalla. I, those moves, the moves that you made last season were win-now moves for a team that was a little different and playing significantly better. If you're looking for somebody to shore up your weak spots, the weak points in this roster, it's not going to happen that way. Maybe you take a chance in Griffin. Maybe you look at some other free agent to bring him in because you're not getting much towards the end of that bench. But I don't think you make the trade. I don't think Duncan's going to get traded. I would not see a move happening. I could be wrong. And maybe I'm jinxing the whole thing and it'll change tomorrow. And next thing you know, Miami will be engaged in talks for somebody else. Even if you get Bielitsa, it's not going to really change this roster much. He'll knock down shots maybe a little bit more consistently than Olympic does. And then he'll give up a whole hell of a lot of points, and then you'll wonder why he's out there on the floor. So I, I don't think this team is beyond help. I think a trade might help. I just don't think a trade is likely to happen. And if you're looking for an improvement in the short term, it's probably going to be when Goran Dragic returns to play. Beyond that, when Avery Bradley returns, you're going to get some more playing time out of him. He's going to be able to knock down shots. He's going to be able to defend guys like Lou Williams or Luke Kennard or, you know, Amir Coffey. I still don't know who the hell that is. But he's going to be torching Miami. You might as well throw Avery Bradley at them, who's a very, very good defender. And we saw that in the limited games in which he's played. So no move is coming. 
I hate to break it to you, I still think this team is capable of winning and winning consistently. It just has to be healthy. It has to be intact before you can gauge whether or not this is a bad team. Right now, they're bad. They can be better. They will be better once they get their roster intact. That's just a reality. I, I can't, maybe not the reality. I can't get away from that mentality that once they bring in the players that they're missing, somehow that will help this team. Believe it or not, that's where I stand right now. If you have something different to say, I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you send in questions using the hashtag AskAloheat. You can always reach me via email at gmail.com. You can always send me a direct message via Twitter. I'm available. I'm David Ramil signing off, and thank you as always for your support. Um.